Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life, books and champagne, brought to you by Amanda and Ellen, co-owners of your local independent bookstore, Dog-Eared Books in Ames, Iowa. First, give me a cheers. Okay, we're ready. And books are sexy. I like to have a candle burning for atmosphere to put me in the mood (laughs) for shambongin. We're smelling the scents of the redwood forest, courtesy of Oakland Candle. And we're about to smell, actually, and taste something from the Charles Bauer collection. It's French. It's from the (laughs) Alsace region of France. You know what? Keyword, brute, white, sparkling wine. Doesn't, oh, 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 it's delicate and well-balanced. I love a delicate wine. It's delightful as an aperitif. Do you know who is the opposite of delicate? Me? Rachel. Rachel. (laughs) She was looking at pictures of a house yesterday with a spiral staircase. Uh, I was like, uh, you are the last uh, person. uh, You are the last fucking person who needs a spiral staircase. A spiral staircase would be the end of you. We need you to We know. We know you. And you can buy me a house. I'm just saying, like, didn't you, did you or did you not walk into and then fall into a huge box of toilet paper last week? (laughs) Yep, you did. If toilet paper <laughs> is a problem for you, I don't know what to tell you. Fill in our shambongs. They're not the easiest fill, and they're even tilted at that perfect angle for reducing bubbles. Oh, it looks adorable. That's so cute. Where's that? Yep. Spiral staircase. Poke City is the name of the sequel to the package, but it's Poke City. (laughs) Ew. 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 I don't like. um, Do you remember that song that we used to dance to in like high school called I Feel a Little Poke Coming Through? No. (laughs) I hated that song. I don't remember that. Somebody's got to look it up. But Rachel, Google, I feel a little poke coming through. <laughs> it was so gross. I don't want your little poke coming through. Keep your pokes to yourself. Yeah. Listen to that. Oh, beautiful. 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 Yeah. This is it. This is not the song. That's the car ad. What's the band? Do you remember? Julie. Yeah. Wait for the line. Jab it. I can't hide it. Close. It was coming. <laughs> it was coming. <laughs> I do. Re- I do Fiddle remember this song. coming through on you. Oh, wait, who's this? Ew. Who's the artist? Right, next. 
Man, I do remember that song. Yeah, I don't want your poke. Yeah, Thank you. keep your poke to yourself. Are you having flashbacks to like being at a high school dance? And yes, dancing? I'm feeling a poke coming through, and I that poke was not welcome. <laughs> Jeez, Austin. Yeah, really gross. All right. Sorry, I'm finding our document. All right, Ellen, what are you reading? I am reading two books. Mm-hmm. One I talked about last week. I'm still reading it. Silver Nitrate yep. by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. So as I explained, it takes place in the 90s. It's two friends. They're in their late 30s. One of them is sort of this d- disgraced former soap opera star. Like he was living the wild life, got in a car accident, which killed his actor's girlfriend. And he's been like sort of on the fringes ever yep. since. That's Tristan. And the other one is Montserrat. And she is a a sound editor. And she has sort of a fascination with old horror movies. Tristan moves into a new apartment. His neighbor is a director of horror movies from like the 60s. And his last movie was never like fully made. It got stopped mid-production. And, you know, the rumor is that it was a cursed production. So Tristan and Montserrat... Um, forged this friendship with this director and he believes that um, they can sort of reverse the curse of this film because he was in cahoots in the film with this Nazi occultist oh my lord who believed that the silver nitrate in films could be a conductor for like spells for magic and that the spectatorship of an audience is what would make the magic work. And so because it got stopped mid-production, the spell he was trying to cast in the movie was stopped Was stopped, and bad fortune has followed everyone involved. Hmm. Okay. So. So was it going to be a good spell? Pro- I don't know. I don't know. Probably not because he was a Nazi. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Um, <laughs> so, w- w- what is it? Two sides of the same coin. Cursed by a Nazi or under a spell from a Nazi. So, Tristan and Monster on Abel's the director's name, They he has like one canister of film left that he salvaged and he's having them sort of dub over it so that they complete the spell. And all of a sudden, their fortunes do start to change. Like, they, bo- they all sort of experience a, a spate of good luck. And then the Nazis come back. Abel gets his throat slashed and Tristan starts seeing his dead girlfriend. And, you know, all sorts of weird things are happening. Very mysterious. It's so good. This is Sylvia Marina Garcia. Yeah. And it's, it's very much in her vein. So it's like, um, if you've read Mexican Gothic or Velvet Was the Night, it's somewhere in the middle there because it's got this like magical realism element to it. That Velvet Was the Night didn't have, but that Mexican Gothic certainly had. So, and it's like, it's kind of horror. I mean, mm-hmm. I was reading it last night on the couch. And I got a little scared, guys. I got a little scared. Um, I heard some noises. Turned out it was my cat. <laughs> <laughs> Which could be scary. <laughs> and the other book I'm reading, I just started, and I know you read this book, Amanda, Inciting Joy by Roske. I'm really happy for you. It's your book club pick. So. It is my book club pick. Good timing. And really, like, the premise i'm just in the introductory part of it but um the premise seems to be that we think of joy and sorrow as being separate things right and that 
you know, he's positing that they are not separate things and that you can experience joy and sorrow um, at the same time. And that what other option do we really have intertwined? Yeah. Yeah. And also the idea of sharing our sorrows can bring us joy. Yes. Because shared sorrow creates connection with others and those connections bring us joy. It's beautiful. And he's beautiful inside and outside. And look at Rachel just spilling things, hitting the table. Never spilled. Sure. Amanda's shirt's the one that's got a little dribble on it. I don't see a dribble. Oh, right here. Looks good. What are you reading? (laughs) I I need like a little treat or something. I don't know. Like the pressure of what to read next. I understand why our classics sell so well. It's almost like a a no-brainer. If it's still in print 100 years later or 50 years later or 80 years later, there's a reason. There was something exceptional. And as time goes on, our understanding of the work or our acceptance of the work can change and we can reevaluate some of the characters from the the book, the, the values in the book. But I chose to go back to Nancy Mitford. You love Nancy I Mitford. I did. I felt, okay, so I picked up The Pursuit of Love. It has a Cecil Beaton uh, photograph on the cover. It looks like it's going to be one thing. It looks like it's going to be this old fashioned kind of cliche Downton Abbey type of story, but it was biting and smart and funny and unusual. And it was all based on Nancy Mitford's upbringing with her wackadoodle parents and her crazy siblings. And they did not live according to convention. And I love it. I just love it. I love reading from the mind of this woman who was just like, I think what I think. I do what I want. Um, so it was fictionalized, but very much autofiction, very much written from her perspective. Love in a Cold Climate is a continuation of that world. She created a fictional cousin. Uh, Fanny is her name. I mean, that's a hilarious name. But anyway, <laughs> Cousin Fanny um, is the narrator of both books. And so Cousin Fanny is invited to the estate of a very wealthy family, the Montadors. And they have a daughter who is a princess, glorious in every way. Her blue eyes exist just to bestow goodness on other people. Anyway, um, Polly Montador is in need of marriage. Um, and her parents are very set on, you know, lifting her up to the highest place in society. Um, and so Fanny is welcome back into this world to their estate. And I'm just in the beginning of it. And that same tone of just observation of ridiculousness is there. 
And so I'm enjoying reading that. Um, I have I have a whole like little mini library of Mitford adjacent things. Um, one of the descendants of the Mitfords, Jessica, has written a biography on all the sisters. I have the entire Nancy Mitford collection. Um, and so every once in a while, you know, you like to go back to a guilty pleasure like that and well, because slip it into your reading style. It's comfortable. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to feel good. Mm hmm. Yep. So that's what I'm reading in addition to a book that comes out um, this week called Once There Was, which is a middle grade novel about a young girl who discovers that her now deceased father was a veterinarian to all the mythological creatures we've ever suspected could have existed unicorns are real bigfoot is real bigfoot hasn't come into the equation yet but because he's not fictional a very (laughs) scary manticore is part of the story oh shit it's like a giant spider that lives just to eat and destroy people and its anger is never satisfied which i can kind of relate to sometimes Um, so anyway, a manticore. I, yes, call me a manticore. <laughs> I will use my evil pincers to grab you and eat you, and not not give a second thought about it. Um, so those are the two things that I'm reading right now. Yeah, excellent. Mm-hmm. All right, today we're gonna talk about Kim Reynolds and her diva fucking bullshit. Yeah, I don't know if we can even give her diva. Diva's kind of like sort of positive. You can be like a positive diva. Like, I don't think she's a diva. I mean, it was just a a reference to Tenacious D because Jack Black calls Kyle, (laughs) tells him he's tired of his diva fucking bullshit. Ah, we're tired of your diva fucking bullshit. Something we say in our house a lot to each other, my husband and I, I'm tired of your diva fucking bullshit. So what's already passed... Let's talk about, and then let's talk about what's coming up next, because we had some really great ideas about what to do about it. <laughs> I would like to talk about my great idea. Uh, but Well, so what has passed last week, unfortunately, um, a number of things, notably um, the bathroom bill. Which forces children to use bathrooms that align with their gender of birth rather than their gender identity. And not only is that denying them their true identity and who they are, but it's putting them in situations where they can be bullied um, and they can feel very unsafe. Yeah. And then the other um, major component of that bill, and this is this is signed into law now, is um, it bans gender affirming care, like medical care, um, for transgender people under eighteen. So, <clears throat> for all of their, you know, waxing poetic about parental choice, when it comes to a decision about your child, their mental health their ability to be true to themselves and making that in concert with their doctor that is off the table. Also the sanctity of life. We know that gender affirming care significantly reduces the risk of suicide. It literally saves lives. It literally saves lives, but these are not the lives that Iowa Republicans care about. No. So, so that's, that's done. That's done. That's, that's our uphill battle that we will be fighting 
back against for years to come and will continue to fight against. But here's what's on the table now. So there is um, what they're calling it sort of the education bill. And it has, it was proposed by Governor Reynolds. It passed the Senate last week with some amendments and it passed through House subcommittee yesterday. And so it's likely to pass the House. There is some talk that there may be further amendments to what the Senate passed. Don't know what those will be yet, but as it stands, um, there's a lot happening in this bill that's worth talking about. Um, in keeping with the hatefulness of the legislation passed last week, this bill would require um, basic, essentially educators to out students. So you would have to get parental permission um, to use <clears throat> a student's preferred pronouns if those do not align with their um, gender assigned at birth. And if they wanted to use a name other than their given name, you would have to get parent permission. And in addition, if a child identifies as something other than their gender given at birth or asks for a different name, that parental permission, you are, my understanding is required to, you know, contact the parent and say, your child has asked me to do this. You might not even be seeking permission. You're just straight out outing the child. You have to report it to the parent. Um, and, by law. And you you can be um, punished to the tune of $5,000 and lose your teaching license if you don't do that. So, you know, I don't envy a lot of my educator friends, um, several of whom I've had this conversation with who are like, I can't follow this law. Like, I can't in good conscience follow this law. And I wouldn't be able to either, you know, because it's stupid. So okay. there's that. <clears throat> Um, this, another aspect of the bill would prevent any sort of curriculum program discussion of sexual orientation or gender identity through sixth grade, um, which, which is, is ridiculous <laughs> because they're all, they're all, they're all thinking, they're all curious. There are kids looking up porn online. There are kids <clears throat> talking about sexual acts that they have no idea what they have to do with. There are kids who have crushes. They're holding hands. They're sneaking kisses. God knows what else they're doing. We know they're doing a lot of it. And so by denying them healthy, correct information, we're leaving them clueless and susceptible to really harmful information. It's just omitting what their lived experience is because, you know, a lot of kids, you know, are queer or have come from queer families. So you're just basically at pretending that that does not exist. And then, you know, very closely related to what we do is that this bill. (laughs) It's laughable. It's laughable. It would require like basically a database of books for every school library, school classroom library. But it bans, if it were passed in its current form, it would ban any book through 12th grade in a school that depicts or describes a sexual act. This is funny. Okay, let's so all have a bye laughing bye moment. Bible, bye <laughs> bye Diary of Anne Frank. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I can't even, I can't even, you can't even begin to compile a list. I mean, in any school library, in any classroom, well, also in def- our entire sexual act. I mean, mm-hmm. like, are we talking it has to be an actual description or it refers to a sexual act? Is kissing a sexual act? Probably to Republicans only if you're gay. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, when they got into some of the, in this file, when they start to describe some of the things that could be sexual acts, <laughs> sex is everywhere because guess what? That's how we all got here. <laughs> like without sex, without a little bit of foreplay, <laughs> I wouldn't be here. My children wouldn't be here. Kids in high school, kids in middle school for that matter. And Unfortunately, kids even younger, they are being exposed to sexual acts. The reason why it matters to have that represented in literature is for them to have context. What? Stop Stop worrying about whether you're normal. Stop or, worrying about, or, or see examples of unhealthy relationships so that you have that red flag that says, you know, I read a story about this and I know from having read it, discussed it, realized that's not what I want for myself. Right. And also like, you know, it's this very like oversimplification of what a depiction, a sexual depiction might be. We're not talking 50 shades of gray here. A sexual depiction does not necessarily and probably actually not a pornographic type of situation. It's you know, like life is messy. Life is hard. Like sex is a part of life. It's going to come up in literature. But I would also say the terminology they're using is problematic because they're calling it age appropriate. And then they define that as not depicting sexual acts. However, there is nothing that prevents um, depictions of violence. So what I'm taking away from Republicans is that um, <clears throat> queer people are harmful to children but elementary school students can continue to get gunned down, and that's fine. Right. Right. So my only response to that is fuck them all. Right. And so to put in context uh, with our with our podcast today, um, we just had a very violent shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. And again and again and again, it is not drag shows that are hurting children. It's like don't don't talk about what is appropriate don't talk about protecting children when you know we're like the only country in the world that has this problem and you refuse to correct it. there is no ground to stand on let's look at the data what is killing children why don't we start there are drag shows killing children no are drag shows sending kids into years and years of therapy no, it's witnessing your classmates die. It's a fear of walking into public spaces. It's the fear of a loud sound because you've been part of a mass shooting in what is supposed to be the most sacred, um, safe place for a child in your classroom amongst your peers. So I think we're focused on the wrong issues. And should this bill pass, should Miss? Governor Reynolds, <laughs> the diva, signed this into law. Can you even imagine the culling of books from classrooms and libraries? I, I no, can't. I and can't also, fathom like, it. I can't, you know, I can't imagine that it will help our teacher shortage situation either. No. What teacher wants to teach a world that doesn't exist? You know, what teacher wants to say, here, read these books that in no way reflect your lived experience? Yeah. 
or or treat kids with the respect that they deserve because by law you can't it's fucked up I think Miss Kimmy needs to be the principal of the whole statewide school and see how that turns out for her. <laughs> the The thing I, I find most concerning about it, and, you know, it's preaching to the choir amongst uh, the people who love books like we do, um, is we're, we're, all the actions our state is taking are taking um, against public schools are trying to restrict public education down to the set of morals that would produce a population of children who then become adults that have been brainwashed with only Republican values or a warped Republican value. Um, with a set of morals assigned and a set of hatreds assigned. Anything queer is to be feared. Um, and, and that's what's being pushed into our public education by removing all of this literature and banning all of these things and requiring all of this outing and just not allowing people to exist as they naturally are in the world. Yeah, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. So, which brings us to my, like, kind of therapeutic solution. It's not actually a solution. We were having lunch with one of our book reps the other day, talking about all the books that are coming out, comparing what things are like in Minnesota for him and what things are like here in Iowa for us. And I hereby propose a movement for Ames to secede from the state of Iowa and become the Dingleberry of Minnesota. (laughs) If Texas can propose seceding from the nation, Ames can secede from the state because I do not identify with the state that I grew up in anymore. This is not my Iowa. I moved back to this town, as did you, to raise our children in a state that values public education and has wonderful career opportunities, has great higher education, has an easy way of life. And I mean, historically, Iowa has been fairly moderate and actually a lot more progressive for a rural and very white state um, which, you know, I used to always kind of brag about it because people would be like, really, Iowa? And it's like, yeah, actually, we were like one of the first in the country to legalize gay marriage. Yep. Um, I think we were the first to allow women to practice law. We were doing like a lot of this. Our, our state has a progressive history. So it, this is so not in keeping with the historical, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just it's really jarring to be living in it. Mm-hmm. And seeing this like really sharp turn and doubling down on this hateful rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And I know you and I have talked about like if we didn't have the ties that we have here. If we hadn't opened dog eared books Would here. we want to stay? Would we feel comfortable raising our children here? Like It doesn't reflect our values. No. I mean, if I lived out of state now, would I want to move back in? No. No. Who the hell would want to move to Iowa? Um, when I went to school at the University of Missouri, it was kind of like this joke. It's like you shit on whoever's further south than you. So like the Missourians all <laughs> thought Arkansas was like so redneck, right? And 
I was from Iowa and I was like, you people down here in Missouri don't really know what you're doing. <laughs> oh my God. It just keeps getting worse. So that's why I want to be the Dingleberry of Minnesota. Minnesota. Okay. So Minnesota, Minnesota, if you're listening. We would really like a little tendril to connect you to us. And we can become Minnesota Minnesotans. Yeah. By proxy, I'll even start talking like a Minnesotan. Um, I'm really sorry, Iowa. How about <laughs> we come on up there? And be Minnesotans. Yeah, we really like your authors. <laughs> it's close, Rachel. They talk like Canadians, if you haven't noticed. My brother-in-law moved up there and his O's changed pretty quick. So we will adopt, adapt our way of speaking. We will adapt your culture. I will become a Vikings fan. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I do not want to be an Iowan if this is what being an Iowan means. Because I moved here for great public education, for beautiful landscape, for higher education, for great job opportunities, and for my family. And you guys are stripping this state of the values that we believe in. If you feel like we feel, please stop by Dogyard Books, grab one of our postcards, and let your legislators know that they are not reflecting your values of what you think this state should be. We will stick a stamp on it and get it to the right place for you. Uh, we had a fun social post the other day. We had someone visit the state capitol and from the upper balcony looking down at all of the legislators' desks, they spotted one of our postcards on the desk. <laughs> you um, know what? You and, we should make a trip. We should go next week. Yeah. We could hand out. Go on like Monday. Well, you're leaving on Wednesday. We could go Monday or Tuesday maybe. I'll come with you Monday. Okay. I'll have to look at my This stage. is not what we want Iowa to be. And it's not in our best interest. We will lose our workforce. We will lose our teachers. We will lose our innovators. We will lose people like you and me who open businesses and employ people. Exactly. Anyway. And, you know, we're we're fortunate in Ames that our legislators are doing a good job. And they're fighting the good fight. I mean, like, <clears throat> Beth wessel Crishell has been, like, really on the front lines of pushing back against this stuff. Ross Wilburn. So we're lucky. But you know what we could do? is we could drive out and, like, egg some mailboxes. <laughs> Dave Dio, here we come. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Because we're not happy. We're not happy. We're not we happy. We won't actually egg mailboxes. But in our if minds... If you did get egged, it wasn't us. It was not us. We thought about it, and we will cop to that. Yeah. But we won't do it. But in our minds, we're doing it. Right. In our minds. And in our hearts, we've egged your, your mailbox. And your my house. favorite thing to do is collect all the dog shit in my backyard now that I have three dogs and distribute that where it belongs. <laughs> I think the state capital could use a little bit of sprinkling. <laughs> all right. On to positive things because good things happen at dog-eared books. And I, before we okay um, move on to this, I... We'll say, and you and I have talked about in our discussions about our frustration and all of this, mm -hmm. you know, you made a really good point. Like, you know, we can't, we have very limited control, but what we can control is our own space. And we can, you know, continue mm -hmm. to try our very best to be a place that is accepting and loving and safe. Right. We will fight and we hard are committed and glow big. That. We are a place that believes that all people matter 
all identities matter, all experiences matter, and none should be shamed or denied. So you come hang out with us. And we have shambongs. And we have shambongs. So I bet Kim Reynolds has never done a shambong. She has never done a shambong. And if she had, you know, maybe that's maybe that's the magic cure. The silver, we'll put some silver nitrate on it, make some little like curse things happen. <laughs> maybe the whole world We're gonna will change. curse your shambong with silver nitrate. Yeah. You heard it here first. Okay. Right. We got some stuff coming out this week. Because a book a day keeps reality away. I have the sweatshirt. <laughs> You could start with Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld. Okay, so I read this. Curtis Sittenfeld is a really interesting writer. I read pretty much everything she puts out. um, And she has often written sort of historical, like her last one, Rodham, was sort of an alternate retelling of Hillary Rodham Clinton. It was so therapeutic. If she she had not not married Bill. She had not stayed with Bill Clinton. And so it was really cool to read. Um, but she, Curtis Sittenveld has written a number of things. One was um, American Wife. Was that what it was called? I think it was about the Bushes. It was. Yeah. It, it she was took a loose um, yeah. retelling of Laura Bush. Mm-hmm. It was based on Laura mm-hmm. Bush's wife. Life. Anyway, um, I'll always pick up Curtis Sittenveld because I think she writes really interesting things. So this is different from what she's written before. This is called Romantic Comedy. And I did read it. And the premise is that Sally is a writer for this sketch comedy show called The Night Owl, which is basically Saturday Night Live. I really need some of that, like, behind-the-scenes SNL stuff. There are some stories that need to be told. Yes. And so she's um, in her late 30s, and she's she's been there for a while. And she notices this pattern of which they'll, like, have these guest hosts, these celebrity hosts, right? And... And not the first time this has happened, one of her coworkers, Danny, who's kind of a slob, he's an average looking guy, gets together with this celebrity, beautiful celebrity actress who has hosted the show. So, so a she, couple, like an ex, the, the parallel would be like Pete Davidson. Like, love you, right, Pete. You're super right. cool. Like, here's this um, average looking dude mm-hmm. who's kind of a slob, um, but he's really funny and smart. Mm-hmm. And he gets this beautiful celebrity woman Mm -hmm. and sally's like the reverse would never happen like it would never she calls it the danny horse rule danny horse is the name of her colleague Mm -hmm. so she's writing the sketch called the danny horse rule okay um and she's sort of known in her comedy the sketches she writes are really kind of calling attention to double standards Mm -hmm. between men and women Mm -hmm. so the week that she's pitching the danny horse rule the guest host and musical act is Noah Brewster. And he was kind of a pop idol. And now he's in his mid-30s. But he's super... Is it like Harry Styles kind of is? No, no, he's more like kind of folk poppy. Okay. Maybe more of like a John Mayer type. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's a good okay. call. And so um, he... They kind of strike up this friendship during the week that he's there. And he sits with her and she and he's got an idea for a sketch and they work through it together. There's clearly like a connection, but it, they don't build on it. And the week ends sort of, it, it kind of, they have a little bit of a falling out. Okay. So it's like a what would have been. 
Well, fast forward a few years, COVID-19 happens. Everybody's in isolation. She gets an email from him and they start corresponding. And so it's really about their relationship and this like sort of reversal of can this hot, you know, male celebrity fall for a quote unquote average, average but really wicked, smart and funny woman. I could go to this world. I think I need to read this. Okay. Homecoming. What's kind of cool is like, so she has all these insecurities, right? But I like the way that Noah is portrayed because he also has insecurities that you would not expect. Hot people have insecurities. Like like body image issues and things that, like he has his own stuff. Um, And I think it's kind of a cool depiction of two people with their own things coming together and figuring it out. I like it. Sounds really good. You guys got to all come. Come get it. Homecoming by Kate Morton. I, I love, want to read this. Yeah, you, you and I me both. reserved. Okay. Why do we love Kate Morton? She just, she just weaves a good story. Okay. So this is historical fiction. So if you like those books that have the back of the woman's head with all the bombers in the sky, pick this one instead. But there's no, this is not World War II, though. It's not World War II, but it's historical fiction. It's 1959, and she she captivates you. She So it's like 1959 and then also like present day. Yeah, I love it. So there's this murder that happens You're like, oh my God, what happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? That's like never been solved. Mm -hmm. And now there's a journalist in present day who is like digging into family history and uncover some things that are connected to this crime that happened 60 years ago. She's so good at the suspenseful, slow reveal. Yes. And it's like... um, the other one that you probably know her for would be The Clockmaker's Daughter. Do you mm-hmm. remember that book? Yep. Loved it. That book was crazy. Yep. So good. So I saw that this was coming out and I was like, oh, shoot, I'm going to reserve a copy of it because I really enjoyed The Clockmaker's Daughter and you're right. It held me. Yep. You know, it's one of those books that just holds. Chapter to chapter. You you're like, one more chapter, time. one more chapter. Yeah. yeah. She will pull you through. She's the master of that. I, okay. I'm so excited about the middle grade offerings. So we have like a few big hit middle grade big books time. coming out big today. time so tell us about them big tree by brian selznick i met brian you and brian are best in friends in seattle now. Hey, i was so excited okay so i went to dinner it was with the scholastic people that's his publisher they have all they have name tags you're assigned a position at your table for this dinner guess what i get there where is amanda seated right next to Brian. And so I was like, oh my God, this is my opportunity. So I like played it cool for a little while, but then I was like, okay, it's time for me to dig in. And so I was telling Brian how I value his approach to storytelling. If you've looked at any of his books in our store, they are, mm, I don't know the exact proportion, but let's say a third to half Highly, highly talented, illustrative, um, pencil illustrations. Very, very, very detailed. So it's kind of this cross between pictorial storytelling with really epic storytelling in word. And so for some of those kids who just don't want to slog through a giant chapter book with tons and tons of words, 
it offers these little breaks where you can tell the story through the pictures. So this is aimed at middle grade, second through fifth, but you can read it up through middle school. This is the story about a sycamore seed. Okay. <laughs> um, and the cool, cool, cool story about this is Steven Spielberg wrote to Brian Selznick and said, Hey, I want to write a movie about this time period before dinosaurs even existed. Can you make it happen? Think like Avatar. Okay. And Brian was like, oh, this is not going to work out as a movie. But he was like, sure. Yeah. Because he didn't want to say no to Steven Spielberg. And so he went and met Steven Spielberg and they talked out this idea. And that, and, and Brian's still thinking, oh, this isn't going to work. I don't think anyone's going to think like a sycamore seed is all that compelling. I don't know. But he was like, okay, I'm going to work on it. So he worked on it and he worked on it and worked on it. And then uh, he was highly invested in the story about uh, these two sycamore seeds, actually, um, Louise and Merwin, their siblings. <laughs> and um, COVID-19 hit, and Brian wrote Stephen and said, I don't think this movie's going to happen, is it? And Stephen was like, no, probably not. So Brian said, can I turn it into a book? And he did. And so it's about, it's about trees and the understory. We all, the understory connects connecting tree to tree, the communication that happens between all the growth of the forest. And I mean, so this is like a big thing in nature writing right, right now. Right, trees, right, right, right. So this right. is like for kids and it's fictional. Right. And it's connecting the ferns and the mushrooms and the trees and they are all personified. And so it's this beautiful story about their existence. I'm so excited about it. I can't wait to read it to my kids. I have two sycamore seeds in a teeny frame that I brought back from that dinner that get to live in the store. And then I've already mentioned Once There Was by Kish Monsef. Um, well, I, can we backtrack just a little bit? Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. when you met Brian Selznick, you were telling me a cool story about okay. him after the fact. Okay. That he used to be a bookseller. <gasps> he was and a bookseller. So he was like sort of relating to this like geeking out over mm -hmm. authors. And he sounded he like such it. a humble and like. He gets it. He yeah. showed us this picture in his presentation of here's me in my bookstore. I think he worked at Books of Wonder. I hopefully, hopefully I'm remembering, right? But it was like, here's Patricia McLaughlin, um, <laughs> who wrote Sarah, um, Play Natal. And here's this other person. And here's Paul Ozulinski. And here's me. And you can just see the humble stature of his bookseller posture. And he's just so grateful to be amongst all these big people. And... He became the person and he's so cool. He's so cool and he's so nice. Um, so anyway, yeah, he was a bookseller once and now we have the privilege of selling his books. He's also very eco-conscious. Um, they had a wonderful book design that involved a lot of gold foil, but he has moved away from that because of the impact it has on the environment. He's trying to make his books as eco-friendly as possible because he cares about the future of our planet. Which is he why he's writing like about a trees. Really cool guy. Yeah, he's totally cool. Um, and if he didn't live in Brooklyn, I'd be like, "Come over for lunch, have a shabong." Well, you, he should come anyway, Brian. Brian, you and Nane can carpool. 
Actually, we're going to go out to New York and we're going to go to Brooklyn and we're going to bring a whole case of shambongs. We should go. And And we'll just send out invites. We should send invites where we invite ourselves to their houses (laughs) or their apartments. We have shambongs and champagne. We would like to talk books. Do they traveling show up? Bo- traveling podcasts. Traveling podcasts. We'll see what happens. Oh my god, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's traveling podcast. Um, Rachel, who would produce? Okay, and you can wash our shambangs when we're done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is a chapter book. That Aren't you push- lucky? That pushes the limits of middle grade. Let me tell you why. Okay, I am Tell reading, me why. I am reading the advanced reader's copy. So, so this one was like super hyped. This has been so hyped. By me. And, and other people? Yeah. Okay, Didn't well, I want to take Winter credit Institute, for it. Institute, it was super yeah. hyped. Yeah. Kiosh was there. And I, when we got to meet all the authors, I was at the door and I was going to like beeline and I wanted my kids on FaceTime so that they can meet the author who I'd been reading to them for a month because this is a fat book. Um, It is described as a comp to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and Neil Gaiman, but it is about a Persian American girl who's father has told her these Persian mythological stories about animals, but her father is also a veterinarian. Her mother died of cancer. Their family did not process that grief very well. She resents her father for her his absence in her life, and she also is resentful of the fact that he ended up dead, and she doesn't know why. She is burdened with carrying on the veterinary clinic he ran, but what she finds out not long after his passing is that he had a little side business that she didn't know about, and that's why he was traveling all these years, and that side business is taking him all across the world to care for the mythological beasts that truly do exist that need their unique talent because they're part of this Hyrcanian line of individuals who were ages back stabbed by a unicorn horn. And that little bit of magic was left in their hearts. They each carry a scar above the heart. And they have a special talent for understanding what those mythological beasts need to to heal from whatever ails them at that time. But there is also a dark black market for the magical (gasps) beasts. So who will win? Those who want to own the beasts or those who want- good prevail we don't know and i'm not to the end yet we are to the last like i have a guess the story i have a guess too one time i sat i was on a plane and i sat next to a reiki healer who worked on horses i took a honey to a lot of chiropractic and physical therapy because she had a ton of arthritis i took myself to reiki healing because i have lots of bad energy in my body But I learned some other things in the process. Anyway, Once There Was is going to be a fantastic upper middle grade story. They throw around the word hell a little bit, which doesn't bother me. I say it out loud to my kids. As I'm reading it, I just want to forewarn people. If you don't swear or you don't allow your kids to hear swearing, this is upper middle grade. 
Um, <laughs> you can modify the language as you see fit. And I have not seen the final edit, so they may have called that to allow it to fit in the sixth grade and under age range, 12 and under age range. But guess what? Speaking from experience, my children say hell and other words. So. <laughs> <I can't> <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that is the best insult. Although, lately we've been talking a lot about... (laughs) So here's something funny Holden has said. He's talking about penises and sex and all that business. He is. This is different, though. He watched the movie Honey... He's been watching Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Honey, I Blew Up the Kids. Oh, I love it. With my parents. Love it. so I picked him up from there, and he had watched Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, and he was like, what should another one be? Like, he was trying to think of, like, ideas. Uh-huh. And I said, honey, I disappeared the kid. And he was like, no, that wouldn't be fun to watch. It was, honey, I fat sized the kid. Fat sized the, the kid. kid. And so now he's like, you're fat sized mom. And Fuck you. No, but I was like, you know what? It's okay because, you know, there's nothing wrong with being fat. And, no. and, he, and it makes me squishy and cuddly. And he was like, yeah, That's you're true. really squishy. And I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I've thought about that. What would it be like if I was like the the magazine magazine like Vogue level uh, physical ideal? My kids would not have much fun cuddling with me. It'd be very pokey and hard. I know. It'd be like cuddling with I don't know a chair, a wood chair, not even yeah. an upholstered chair. The other thing that Holden's into right now is he's trying to sow seeds of discontent between me and Tyler, my husband. Mm-hmm. So he, <laughs> he was like, <laughs> um, he told me, he's like, dad has a crush on another girl. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> so I told Tyler that and he laughed and he said, yeah. In the car, he said, um, you can tell me a secret, like. You don't have a crush on mom. <laughs> what a little troublemaker. What a will become of him? He lies all the time. He, he like. <laughs> Future Fox if News if he's like, if he's correspondent. Mad at me, if he's mad at me for something, he'll be like, you said you hate me and I'm an idiot. Holden, that never happened. I never said that. Well, you said I was annoying. Well, you are annoying, and I did say that. <laughs> just, Get your facts straight, just sir. Make shit up. You called me an idiot. No, I did not. <laughs> okay, we have one more coming out for YA, I believe. Nick Blake and the Remarkables by Angie Thomas. What can you tell me about that one? So Angie Thomas. Um, oh, it is, is middle is grade. Best known for the hate you give mm-hmm. and the. Um, other books sort of in that universe on the come up and Concrete Rose. So this is her middle grade debut and it's like an adventure story. Um, So it's about this, I'm not sure how old she is, like 12 or 13 year old girl Mm -hmm. and her father has magical abilities and she wants to learn it too and she wants to use it in maybe not the best ways. Right, because when we're middle schoolers, we would use magic <laughs> much differently than we would as adults. Yes, and her father is in prison. She believes unjustly, and she wants to use magic to try to get him out. Mm-hmm. 
So it seems to be kind of in line with, you know, your Percy Jackson's, your Amari the Night Brothers, that kind of adventure Plus social magic. justice. Yeah. And it's from an author that's sort of proven in other areas. And so. That'll be really, really good. Okay. Popping in the store. I am going to be absent. You for, will be in absentia. For story time. But that doesn't mean story time won't happen. We're going to give you Brit. Last time Brit oh, did tried to say she was going to do it. Yes. Last oh. time we had Brit fill in for story time, an epic snowstorm happened and she did adult story time instead. <laughs> and it was get thee off my lawn. A very <laughs> sexy story time for our booksellers. You Thank know what? You. We should have a sexy story time where you would just read scenes from romance. Novels. I would like if that happened and I attended i would be sitting there laughing and it would be oh, really I wouldn't inappropriate be mature about it i, I would not be mature at all <laughs> anyway Britt promises to be very age appropriate we'll be reading a few last easter books to celebrate the upcoming holiday um but she will be doing that at 10 a.m on wednesday and the other thing other thing of note is that we will be closed on Easter because guess what? You're all getting together with your families, whether you celebrate the religious holiday or not. It is a fun opportunity to have a nice, relaxed weekend. And it is also additionally Holden's seventh birthday. What? He was born on Easter? He's Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus Christ. Oh, no, he died. Fuck. <laughs> he rose again. On Holden shall rise. Holden shall rise on well, Easter. No, he wasn't born on Easter. His birthday just happens to fall on Easter this, this year. It changes. And my other kids are, especially Atticus, are quite concerned about it because they're like, this isn't going, going to like, get in the way of my Easter. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Earnings. Your kids want to make sure they get their Easter baskets filled with all the, the stuff. <laughs> it's like, we will still do that. Yeah. But it is also Holden's birthday. So... Both thing in. It's a party favor bag. What do you want for your birthday? And he was like, I want Mario things. I want a Mario lamp. I want a Mario rug. I want a Mario blanket. I want a Mario stuffy. So all things Mario. (sighs) Surviving the stages of our children. Yes. My, I don't know if this is, well, maybe you can speak to it because you have four girls. Mm -hmm. But my sons have been more. Like, they get obsessed with, like, a particular thing mm-hmm. than my daughter ever did. Oh, my God. My kids get obsessed with things. Okay, so, like, Eloise was Minecraft for a very long time. Her email for a long time, and I don't think she uses it anymore, is Diamond Eloise because having, like, a diamond sword was, like, a really big deal. <laughs> so, Diamond Eloise, maybe she'll evolve into, like, a princess, like lady who wants diamonds maybe have high expectations i don't know charlotte is obsessed with things like uh whatever's cool right now jojo siwa bows were the thing um then it was squishmallows dear god if i could burn every we did do lol dolls was a thing for lol lol surprise um what were those little you know hatchimals vomit (laughs) I will, I will look back. I hope when I'm like 60 and be like, oh, I barely remember that. But like, they are still the bane of my existence. I don't want that shit in my house. I don't want it. So happy birthday to Holden. Happy birthday, Holy. And keep the champagne flowing and And the the books books going. going. Cheers. Cheers. Remember, uh, subscribe. 
like, follow, because you want to find out what's happening in Dog Eared Books every single week. Yep, and if you don't live in Ames, you can always follow us on social or hit our website to order books. Follow us at, at Dog Eared Books Ames or at Dog Eared Books on TikTok. All right, listeners, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. This is so great! It's so great! <laughs>